turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. We're continuing our study on prayer. We've been talking about all sorts of different kinds of prayer. And most recently we've been talking about the Sabbath prayer, the prayer of rest. And even more specifically than that, we've been talking about how the Sabbath prayer of rest can bring healing into our life, emotional and spiritual healing. What I want to talk about this morning, and it was, this will continue on uh, to next week, is, is uh, prayer as ministry to others. Prayer as ministry to others. This is intercessory prayer. This morning we'll be covering the general topic of intercessory prayer, and then next week we'll uh, pick up more specifically uh, the topic of praying for the sick uh, to bring healing into their life. Talking about intercessory prayer, I'd like to read from Exodus chapter 17, and we'll start with verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God, the staff that God had given him. I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Try to, try to picture this. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty bizarre, uh, pretty bizarre picture, but I think there's a, a real important truth here. Let me just say parenthetically, I've got a couple more verses to read, but I want to throw in this little, uh, little tidbit. Um, this battle hung upon Moses raising his hands. In fact, later on, the place was named, we find in verse 16, the place was named after uh, the fact that Moses lifted up his hands to the Lord. You find Moses quite a bit in the book of Exodus raising his hands. In fact, in chapter 9, the Lord commands Moses to raise his hands when he intercedes on behalf of Israel. The Lord commanded Solomon to do the same thing and in 1 Kings chapter 8 to raise his hands when he interceded uh, for Israel. In fact, Paul tells us in the New Testament uh, that he, he, his will is that everybody... Uh, lifts up holy hands unto the Lord in, in, in prayer. In fact, the second most common posture you find for prayer and praise in the Bible is lifting up hands to the Lord. did a little study on this. But you know what? You'd never guess what the first and most popular posture is. It's laying prostrate on the floor. You find that more frequently than any other posture. Kneeling comes in at a close third. Folding your hands, I couldn't find the idea of folding your hands. Just little, you know, Bible trivia. We today sometimes think that uh, what we do with our bodies when we pray and, and when we praise God is unimportant. And it's very, very true, very, very true that you can pray in any possible position you can conceive of. You can pray hanging upside down if that's what blesses you. You can pray when you're running. You can pray in the car. You can pray taking a bath. Any posture you can pray in and you can pray effectively. But it's also true that what we do with our body affects what happens in our spirit. We're whole creatures. And... I just want to throw this out for you, that maybe there's a reason why the Lord sometimes enjoins people to pray this way. I find, and many other people find, that when I lift hands to the Lord, I, I, I experience, it's not just a symbolic thing, but I experience more openness, and it's a, an experience of dependency and humility, as I'm just adoring the Lord, and I just can find, kind of feel Him flowing within me. It's not the only way to do it, but it is a way to do it. Now, I know that in some places, and sometimes this has been abused, 
It's made sort of a spiritual requirement that if you don't raise your hands, you're not spiritual or some sort of nonsense. And that's silly and that's abusive. It's manipulative and we'll have no part of that. Never, ever will that be the case here. So long as I live, I stake my claim. There's nothing spiritual. There's no points you get for doing this. And I also know that if you come from a tradition that doesn't do this, it kind of feels awkward and, and you know, strange. I remember the first time I, you know, in church kind of started doing this. It was kind of a little pinky. Like, well, let's see what happens then. It feels weird. It feels awkward. But I want to encourage you in this direction. Maybe sometimes, if you're awkward with that at home, uh, when you're in your own prayer time or when you're worshiping the Lord, try that. Just try it. See if it doesn't make a difference. See if it, in some ways, doesn't intensify your experience of the Lord. And then as you get more comfortable with it and you're more uninhibited and you don't feel like everyone's looking at you, uh, maybe in church, if you feel that, uh, just try that. That was a free advertisement, something for you to think about, just biblical information for your facts. Okay. Okay, there's an amen there. When Moses' hands grew tired, left my drink over there. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, uh, one on one side and one at the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Can we pray? Lord, I thank you for your presence here that has been felt during worship, Lord God. I thank you for the way that you have uh, already taken blinders off of us to help us see the beauty of your face and to experience the power of your love, Lord. I thank you for your presence which is in this place, Lord. And my prayer is that, is that uh, you would continue uh, in the delivery of this message to be present here, Lord. Let what is said, Lord God, have divine authority upon it, Lord. Words do not change us. Philosophies do not change us. Music doesn't change us. But when your spirit is behind it and energizing it, Lord, that changes us. And so, Lord, more than anything else, I pray that your spirit would, would accompany this word, Lord, to make us prayer warriors, God. Lord, free me from trying to convey my sense of urgency with the words, Lord God. Free me to trust your spirit to do that. I ask in your name. Amen. We're talking about, we're talking about intercessory prayer here. I think this passage of Scripture does a good job of illustrating what intercessory prayer is. Moses is, in this passage, a type of intercessor. To, inter to intercede is to be a go-between. That's all intercession really means, is it's to be a go-between. A lawyer intercedes on behalf of his client, the defendant, when he comes between that defendant and the law. He pleads the case of his defendant. He's a go-between. A counselor can be a go-between when a counselor uh, maybe takes on a, a marriage that's in trouble and comes between the conflict of the husband and the wife. That's a go-between. We can, in other circumstances, be go-betweens with people. We can, when we intercede in their life, maybe to rescue them from drowning or a fire or being hit by a car or what have you, we intercede on their behalf. We come between them and impending disaster. That's what a go-between is. Moses, in this case, is being a go-between for Joshua and the Israelite army, and God. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, we find a, a verse that's similar to many other verses. When, when Paul says to the Romans, I urge you, I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ by the love of the Spirit to struggle with me by praying for me to God. That's what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is the process whereby we take upon ourselves the burdens of others, the struggles of others. We enter into their life. We enter into their struggles, their hardships, their burdens. We take them upon ourselves and we work for them. 
We work for them by bringing them before God in prayer. It's a process whereby God expands our own heart. You learn how to enter into the life of another when you pray for them. This is why the Lord says pray for your enemies. It's hard to pray for your enemies for very long and keep them enemies. You begin to see them through the eyes of God. There's four points I want to bring out of this, this passage here this morning. One very general, general point, a very crucial point. And then I want to make three smaller points about how to pray the prayer of intercession. The first point and the foundational point I want to make is this. If we take this passage at face value, it has all the indications of suggesting this, that the outcome of this battle of the Israelites and the Amalekites hung upon whether or not Moses was interceding. We take it at face value. When Moses' hands were raised, showing forth his intercessory prayer, the Israelites were winning. And when Moses' hands were down, the Israelites were losing. The outcome of this battle hung upon Moses' intercessory work. Intercessory work is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. One of the things I think that plagues Christendom today is a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty. We rightly believe that God is omnipotent, that God is enthroned on high. Unfortunately, some draw a sort of fatalistic conclusion from that. They assume that since God's all-powerful and God's all-good, whatever happens in the world must be what God wants to happen, that God just sort of controls every detail of the world, and we have no power to influence or change things. Everything, every detail is predestinated, and so we just sort of sit back and, and let things happen as they might. And perhaps we still pray, maybe we still pray a prayer of intercession, but it doesn't have any kind of urgency because whatever we think in our mind, at our heart level, we're convinced that it doesn't really make much difference. Nothing really hangs upon whether we pray or not. Nothing really hangs upon whether we intercede or not. Because, hey, que sera, sera. God's going to do whatever God's going to do anyways. And prayer feels like sort of trying to twist God's arm. Prayer becomes sort of a pro forma activity. It's just sort of something we're supposed to do, and we sort of trivialize it sometimes when we hold this view of God's sovereignty. We say, hey, I'll be praying for you, but what we really mean is, I wish you well. I'll keep you in my prayers, and what we really mean is, I'll think about you here and there. What we need to see from this passage and from many, many other passages is that while God is sovereign, He is sovereign, God is omnipotent, He chooses to reign sovereignly through intercessors. Amen? He chooses to work out his will and to work out his plan through the work of people who intercede on behalf of others. It's a, a spiritual law of intercession. God could have used a number of different ways to defeat the Amalekites. He could have sent a great big thunderstorm and zapped them all with uh, lightning bolts. Yeah, that's what he could have done. He could have opened up the earth and they could have all fallen into a giant hole. Or he could have sent a humongous plague and killed them all out. He could have just taken his giant thumb and just go... If he wanted to. He could have done it a million different ways. But the way God chose to defeat the Amalekites was through the intercessory prayer of Moses and through the fighting of Joshua, but it was the intercessory prayer that made the difference. You find throughout Scripture, God ordaining that intercessory prayer is going to be crucial to bringing about the end that he desires. God desires to have a people that are not robots, that are not automatons, that... That, that aren't just puppets. God wants people who have moral responsibility for one another. He wants people who are persons who have power to affect the outcome of things. He wants people, above all, who know the urgency of communicating with him, 
And so God in his omnipotence, God in his sovereignty ordains that a great deal hangs upon people being responsible for one another, people interceding for one another, people holding one another up in prayer. A great deal hangs upon it. He could have done it otherwise, but he chose to do it this way. It's that way throughout all of Scripture. I suppose there's a lot of different ways God could have reconciled the world to himself. I don't know. I'm not God. But he chose to do it through an intercessor, through the ministry of the man Jesus. Central to all of God's plan is this role of interceding. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that the Son of God now lives to make intercession for us. The way we're made right, the way we're made holy, the way we're justified, the way we're purified in God's eyes is through the ministry of intercession. Intercession is central to everything that God does. You find this throughout the Gospels. When Jesus was walking this earth, people would bring people to Jesus. They'd be go-betweens between the people and Jesus. And that would affect a great deal of outcome in the lives of those people. Matthew 12, just for example. They bring before uh, Jesus a person who was mute. Jesus responds and heals that mute person. And the reason that person was healed was because there were people who were willing to intercede on his behalf. I'm sure there was hundreds of others of, of mute people in the land that weren't healed because no one was their go-between. Things hang upon having a go-between. Matthew 15, there's a Canaanite woman that, that, that comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is demon-possessed. And Jesus responds to her and delivers that daughter from her demon possession. But the reason that daughter was delivered was because she had a mother that brought that daughter to Jesus and brought Jesus to that daughter. That's what intercession is. And there's a lot of other demon-possessed people in the land in those days, but they remained demon-possessed because this one had an intercessor. That's what made the difference. Eight verses later in Matthew 15, verse 30, the Bible says that they brought many sick people, many maimed people to Jesus. And he healed the sickness. He healed the maimed. He healed the blind. The reason he did it to just those people is because they had people who were his go-betweens. They brought their sick to Jesus and he healed them. And there's a lot of other blind people, a lot of other maimed people, and a lot of other sick people throughout the land. But what made the difference is that these people had a go-between. They had an intercessor. It's God's law of intercession, the principle of intercession. It's central to the way God works in the world. In fact... The main job of Israel in the Old Testament and the main job of the church in the New Testament is to be intercessors, to mediate God's presence to the world and to bring the world to God, to be go-betweens. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we are a royal priesthood. That's what a priest is, someone who mediates, someone that intercedes. The Bible calls us to hold up one another in prayer. The Bible calls us to enter into the struggles of one another, enter into the hardships of one another, take on the burdens of one another, and intercede for one another. And that's why you find dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of times, the imperative to intercede on behalf of one another in prayer. To do to one another what Moses was doing to Joshua. To hold our hands up before God and intercede on one another's behalf. James 5, verse 16 tells us this, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If that means anything, it means that there are things that you accomplish in prayer that could not be accomplished, that would not be accomplished in any other way. Human wisdom and human friendship and helping out on a physical level is good, but prayer is powerful and effective. There's a law that God has ordained and he's put behind it a hundred promises about 
how his authority will be on it, that when people intercede on behalf of other people, things get accomplished. It's the prayer of intercession. One of the sad things, and I'm going to speak frankly about this, is that in comparison with past ages, the church today has largely forgotten the spiritual law of intercession. The church today has largely forgotten the, the spiritual law of intercession. We know how to intercede pretty well on a physical level, and that's important, that's good, that's wonderful, that's blessed. We know how to help one another on a physical level. We know how to intercede for one another on a physical level. We've devised many ways of helping other people. We've interceded with them by knowing the laws of nature, by developing medicine and biology and antibiotics and all this other stuff to make life healthier and to make life more comfortable. We know how to intercede on the laws of nature, the physical laws of nature, to accomplish things. But this physical preoccupation, this preoccupation with this world has unfortunately caused the church to largely forget the equally important, no, the, the, the more important law, the spiritual law of intercession and what it can accomplish. Let me draw an analogy. In the Middle Ages, they knew quite a bit about the law of intercession, the spiritual law of interceding on behalf of others, but they didn't know a whole lot about physical laws, and the results were sometimes disastrous. They didn't know how to intercede for one another on a physical level because they didn't know the laws of nature, and so we had the bubonic plague. For example, it killed a third of the people in Europe, and it was totally unnecessary. If, if they would have had a little bit of knowledge about how germs are spread, that wouldn't have happened. Well, today we're in an opposite position. We know a whole lot about germs. We know a whole lot about biology and medicine and technology. We, we intercede well on that, on, that, on that score. but We've forgotten about the laws of the spirit, the laws of intercessory prayer, and the results are no less disastrous than the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages. We have got in this Country, and we have got in the church today a bubonic plague of the spirit. We've got a bubonic plague of spiritual apathy that has worked its way, wormed its way into Christendom because we've forgotten the law of intercessory prayer. We've got a disease of the spirit that leads us to have an impotent gospel that doesn't effectively come against spiritual warfare, that doesn't effectively come against envy and bitterness and strife because we've forgotten the centrality, the, the, the crucialness of the law of intercessory prayer. We've forgotten it. A preoccupation with the physical world has, lead, has led us to forget it. We've got a disease of the spirit that leads us to have an impotent gospel in confronting spiritual warfare, confronting the evils of racism and confronting the evils of poverty because we've forgotten the spiritual law of intercessory prayer. We've got a gospel that doesn't impact people the way the gospel can impact people, that doesn't transform lives, that doesn't free people from demonic strongholds, that doesn't as effectively save people because we've forgotten the, the, the centrality, the spiritual law of intercession. God only knows how much is lost because of this. God only knows what the effect has been in terms of the church's impact of the world. I mean, how many, how many, just, how many accidents could, it, could be prevented? If we held crucial, if we saw the, the, the centrality of intercessory prayer, how much sickness could be averted? How many marriages could be restored? How many kids could be raised with spiritual protection if we remembered how central the, the ministry of intercessory prayer was? How many demonic attacks could be averted? How many people could be delivered from strongholds if we remembered the centrality of intercessory prayer? And I just wonder how many churches could be set on fire and get a passion and get a life if we remembered the... Power of intercessory prayer, amen. How many worship services could be more intensely filled with the presence of God? And how many sermons could be more intensely anointed with God if the saints of God remembered the centrality of the power of intercessory prayer? 
It's the way God operates. It's the way he's sovereign in the world. It's the way he's decided to orchestrate things. We must never forget it. Our commitment here, and we're a bunch of sinners, so we don't keep this commitment as well as we need to. I hope that doesn't surprise a single person. But our commitment here is, is to hold prayer as our first priority. That's our commitment. That's our resolution. Because we know, we're very aware, that you can have all the best plans and schemes and agendas and human ingenuity and all the learning and all the study and all the quick fixes in the world. And some of it's really good and some of it's really insightful, but if the Spirit of God isn't behind it, if the power of God isn't on it, if it's not robed in the prayers of people, it's going to come to nothing of value for the kingdom's sake. Nothing. It will build a nice little human kingdom perhaps, but the power of God won't be in it. If the power of God's not in it, its kingdom value will be minor, to say the least. We want to learn as much as we can, study as much as we can, do things. I'll run the church as well as we can here, but the first priority, the foundational principle is that we need an army of warriors behind it if it's going to do what God wants it to do. What we see here this morning, folks, is not the result of some great strategizing or some great planning. It's the result that God has given us the gift of a ministry of, of, of intercessors who are praying for this place every day. And I want to just encourage you, like Paul in, in Romans 15, verse 30, Paul and I want to say to you, I urge you, I plead with you, if God puts it on your heart to be a part of this ministry, I plead with you to join us in the struggle. Join us in the battle by being on the hill and lifting up your hands and interceding for us. Because that's what's going to make it come alive. That's what's going to make the difference. That is what is making the difference. And there's no other way for a difference to be made. Consider this. Pray about it. At 9 o'clock every morning, we have a, a ministry of intercession here from 9 to 9.45, praying specifically for this service. If you want to be a part of that, I encourage you to join it. On Sunday nights, we've had for the last several months a prayer meeting. At the Lee's house, I believe we have uh, maps in the back there, don't we? Okay, we've got some maps back there. I can guarantee you one thing, it will not be boring, okay? God's been really blessing this thing. And if you want to be a part of some intercessory prayer, join us on Sunday nights. We start at 6.30, go to about 8.15, 8.30, and then talk as long as we want to talk. <laughs> but I encourage you to be a part of that because that, this, is the, th th this is the foundation, the substance, the meat of what the ministry is all about. Let me now just give three basic tips on, on intercessory prayer. I've talked about the centrality of it, how crucial it is. It is the way God affects his power in this world. The central way God affects his power in the, this world. We need to be intercessors. Let me give you three tips that I think come from this passage about intercessory prayer. The first one is this. That Moses wasn't here taking on some personal vendetta. He, didn't, he wasn't personally angry with the Amalekites. He, it wasn't that uh, they had robbed something of his, and so this was his own agenda. Moses was following the will of God. The Amalekites were a very evil people, part of the whole Canaanite religion. And they needed to be defeated if, if God was going to carry out his plan for Israel in this land. Moses was following the will of God and doing what he did. That's why he raised up the staff of God, the authority of God in his prayer. And so also with us. It's important that we seek to discern the will of God when we pray, that our prayers are directed as God wills them to be directed. The promise of Scripture is this. That whatever we ask, whatever we ask, according to his will, it will be done. What a promise. <laughs> whatever you ask, according to his will, it will be done. And God backs that up with all of his authority and all of his might and all of his power. 
Many things you know are the will of God. You don't have to seek God's will for it, for pe praying for people to be saved, praying for people to be delivered from sin, praying. And many things you know are the will of God, praying that God would, his spirit would land upon us in, in our services. That's God's will. And so just make it a regular part of, of your prayer. But there are other things. There are other things where we more specifically need God's direction. The Bible says that when we don't know how we should pray, Romans 8, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. And he directs our prayer. He leads our heart. He leads our mind and can show us what it is that God would have us to pray for. Finding this isn't always easy for us, but I just encourage you in doing this. When you go to pray, first of all, ask the question, what is the burden of your heart? What is the burden of your heart? The most effective prayer is the prayer that comes out of the heart, one that's a part of your gut, one that's there. And so ask, what has God placed on your heart? And as you pray for it, does your burden increase? Does God let you into the struggles of the person you're praying for? Do you feel some of their struggles? That's probably a good indication that that's the person that God wants to lay on you to, to, uh, to pray for, intercede on their behalf. Another thing that's sometimes good to do is just to clear your mind before you pray and just say, Lord, bring to me who it is I need to be praying for or what it is I need to be praying for. And ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind, to give you a picture or a word about what it is you need to be praying for. Along these same lines, I'd encourage you to do this. Pray as specifically as you can. Pray as specifically as you can. It's been a principle that's articulated throughout the ages of those who are masters of prayer, that the more specific a prayer is, the more power it has. Moses, when he was standing up on that hill, he didn't pray for the world in general. Oh, God, bless the world. He didn't pray for Israel in general. He didn't pray for Moses in general. He prayed specifically for this battle at this time in this situation. I'm praying for this right here. It was a specific prayer. I sometimes think of prayer as sort of a laser beam. See if it works. A laser beam. And, and the more intently you focus it on something, the, the, the hotter it is, the more it accomplishes. But if it's spread out kind of generally, it still does good, but not as much good as if you can zero it in. And I've I, I've been involved in instances, and maybe you have too, where you're kind of praying generally, you don't know how you should be praying, but then you hit the nail on the head, and bam, God's power begins to kick in. Pray as specifically as you can. It's good to pray for someone's marriage, but if, if you know that the problem with the marriage is, is the husband's wayward heart, for example, pray specifically that God would change his heart. It's good to pray for someone's health. That, that's good, but it's better if you, if you know that the problem is their asthma, pray for their asthma. Be as specific as possible. It's good to pray for the church. God bless our church. Wonderful. But it's better if, if, if you have God give you a specific thing to pray for. Pray for the ministry of, of children. Pray for some of our children's workers. Keep them up in prayer. Pray for the worship service. Pray for the sermon. Make it as specific as possible because our prayers are as powerful as they are specific. Some Christians find this. The Bible says that we can, when we pray, get what the Bible calls a word of knowledge. I don't know if you know what that is or not, but it's basically this. It's possible when you're praying for God to give you information that you didn't get through your ordinary senses. Sometimes when you're praying with someone physically or when you're just praying alone, ask the Lord to give you the information that he wants you to pray about. And God can bring to our mind, bring to our, our knowledge, put on our hearts things that we couldn't have learned other, any other way. But pray in that direction. Follow the Spirit when you pray, pray according to God's will. Pray as specifically as possible. The second thing is this. We learn from this passage. Moses, when he went up on the hill, he raised his hands to the Lord. But he didn't just raise his hands. He raised up the staff of God. 
The staff was very important to Moses. Whenever you find God doing supernatural works in Moses' ministry, he had that staff in hand. This was a staff that he confronted Pharaoh with. It was a staff that he parted the Red Sea with. It was a very important staff. It was a sign of God's authority. It was the means that God used to work miracles in Moses' life. And he'd seen it work before. And so up on this hill, he raised the staff before God. He prayed according to God's authority, lifting that authority up before heaven. He didn't pray according to his own authority, his own righteousness or something like that. His trust was in what God could do, and that was sort of symbolized by the staff. He knew that God was going to work. He had that confidence. And so it is with us when we pray. We must be very careful to keep this in mind, that when we pray, what gives our prayer authority? It's not how righteous we are or how righteous we aren't, because we're not. The question is not how eloquent are we when we pray. How smooth is it? How connected is our thoughts when we pray? Sometimes people get the impression that the louder you pray, the more authority you have. You know what I'm talking about. In Jesus' name! And the guy gets healed of a headache, but now you made him deaf. And I... <laughs> our authority is not in ourselves. We have no authority. The power of our prayer isn't in ourselves. We have no power. The righteousness that even allows us, grants us the privilege to pray, is not in ourselves because we have no righteousness of our own, but we do have what Moses had, and that is that we have the staff of God. We have the staff of God. When we pray, the authority is not in ourselves. The authority is in what God says he will do through our prayer. That's our staff. God says, when you pray according to my will, I will grant you your heart's desires. That's our staff. The staff is the word of God. And when we pray, we pray according to the word of God, according to the power of the spirit that he's put upon our prayer. We pray under the authority of Je in the name of Jesus Christ, under the authority of Jesus Christ. We have the privilege to pray because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we pray, we must be very aware, because the enemy will use it against us if we don't do this. Be very aware that in and of ourselves, we don't have the authority or the, 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 the righteousness to pray. We ought not to be heard. If God was running this universe in any kind of fair way, we'd have no right to command anything, to plead with anything. We'd be sinners blocked out from God's holiness, but because of the cross, and because of God's grace, and because of the authority that he gives us in his word... We can come boldly before the throne of grace, the Bible says, boldly before the throne of grace, and have confidence that when we pray according to God's will, it will be done. Our faith isn't in ourselves. Our faith isn't in our eloquence. Our faith isn't in the connectedness of our thoughts. Our faith is in what God says he'll do, because he's given us the staff of the cross to raise before him. And it's very important that when we pray, we believe that. We have confidence that God will honor his word. Very frequently we pray, but, but we really aren't convinced that... that uh, it's going to happen. It just seems implausible. It seems kind of impossible. In the natural, it just isn't going to happen. The Bible always says, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. And when you pray, when God puts it on your heart to pray for something, pray expecting, pray believing, pray anticipating that God will honor his word. He cannot lie. Pray with faith and confidence. The final thing is this. The final thing is this. I want to tell you, I really appreciate amens. <laughs> and it's like, are you hearing me? All right, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I see delivering the word as a dialogue. It's a dialogue. This is the difference between preaching and a lecture. Uh, lecture is, I'll talk to you. Preaching is, I'll talk to you, but talk back to me. Are you with me on this? Are you with me on this? Everyone said, amen. All right, hallelujah. 
The final thing is this. Moses prayed until sunset. Moses prayed until sunset. He prayed until the battle was won. He prayed as long as he needed to pray to get the job done. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of sweat. His arms got very, very heavy, and in fact, he needed help. But he wasn't going to get down off that mountaintop until the battle was won because it was God's will for this battle to be won and God is true to his word, he's true to his staff and Moses is praying not according to his own authority but according to that staff. So how could it be otherwise? This battle's going to be won. If it takes a year, I'm going to stand up here and pray until we finally win this battle. We'll find a way to keep these arms up but the battle has got to be won. The principle that we need to learn from this is, is the following. There's power in persistence. Just as there's power in praying as specifically as possible, power in praying according to the will of God, and power in praying according to the authority of God, there's power in persistence. Our attitude in prayer needs to be like Jacob when he wrestled with the devil, in, or the devil, the angel. In, uh, in uh, Genesis, I think it was chapter 28 or something like that, Jacob wrestled with that angel and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I know you want to bless me, but you're acting like you don't want to bless me, so I'm going to wrestle with you all night long, and I don't care what happens to me, but I'm not going to let you go. That's what our attitude needs to be in prayer. We grab hold of the thorn of grace and hang on. Jesus said to pray like this. He says, pray like God didn't want to hear you. <laughs> Luke 18, read it. He says, pray like this woman, this, this, this widow, who, who's treated unjustly, and she wants her case to be heard. But the judge in the land, he's a very wicked judge. He doesn't give a rip about this woman. doesn't want to hear her case. And so that woman goes in the morning and knocks on his door. She goes in the afternoon and she knocks on the door. She goes in the evening and walks in the door. She goes there in the middle of the night and knocks on the door. She does it day after day after day after day until finally this judge is ready to go nuts and says, just to get you off my back, I'll hear your case and I'll answer your request. She just says, that's how you should pray. <laughs> pray like you had to nag God to get what you want to get. Bombard heaven and don't give up until you see God answer the prayer. Pray as though he was a begrudging deity. Pray as though he was stingy. Pray as though he was selfish. You know God's not at all like that. But Jesus is giving us a principle here because the purpose of prayer is for us to build our confidence and build our faith. And praying with persistence does that. Bombard heaven with your prayers. Don't give up. First time I witnessed to my dad back in 1974, I looked pretty hopeless. See, sometimes when you pray, you've got to ignore the evidence. Because God's word is... God's word is stronger than the evidence. First time I witnessed my dad, pretty hopeless, real skeptical, hard-hearted, didn't think anything would come of it. And I didn't pray continually for the next 18 years. Once in a while, it would be on my heart. But about four years ago, the Lord put this on my heart to begin to pray for him and to begin to not only do the spiritual thing, but to do the physical thing. Joshua had to fight the battle as well as pray. Praying doesn't mean that we ignore the physical stuff. Okay? But I started sending letters to him and started witnessing to him. And then he started writing back, say, you know, giving me objections to the, to the truth of Christianity. And I'd write him back and give him reasons for the truth of Christianity. And all the while, I'd be praying. All the while, wherever I'd go, I'd ask people to be praying. That's another thing. There's power in numbers, folks. And so here, Moses needed help. He needed help holding up his hands. You can't hold him up on your own. I needed help praying for my dad. So wherever I went, whatever church I preached in, I said, will you be praying for my dad? Just, everyone I talked to, oh, yeah, but will you be praying for my dad? There's power and persistence, and there's power in numbers. And sometimes it looked pretty bleak. Sometimes he looked pretty skeptical. Sometimes his heart looked pretty hard. But a year ago, last January, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. At the age of 73. <laughs> Amen. The word here is this. Don't give up. Don't give up. If God puts it on your heart, if it's according to God's will, if it's something that you know God wants to have happen, don't give up. If it looks bad, if the circumstances look bleak, if it looks like it's going in the opposite direction, don't give up. There's power and persistence. 
There's power in numbers. Ask those around you to be praying. The vision that, that, that we have for this place, and it's a vision that is spreading, thank God for it, that, Paul, that God has given to Paul and God's given to me, is that this will be a place that is based solidly on the word and it'll be a place that is based solidly on prayer. That, that's it. It's so simple. We'll take whatever other plans and books and gimmicks and whatever it might use the gospel. We're not going to be naive, but the, the, the bread and butter is the word and prayer. And the vision we have is for God to raise up a ministry of intercessors. And as we've said from the beginning here, this is like one big experiment. One big experiment. Let's see what happens if we get a bunch and bunch and bunch and bunch of people who take God at his word and trust him in prayer and intercede for this ministry on a daily basis. Let's see what will happen because the Bible promises that when we call on him, he will show us things that we could not imagine. Jeremiah 31. He'll show us things we could not imagine. Let's stand and close in prayer. I want you to know that um, you don't need to pray alone. If there's a burden on your heart this morning, there'll be here people up here um, who would love to enter into prayer, prayer with you. I encourage you to come forward. You're here this morning, and this sounds kind of weird to you, maybe. You've never uh, thought about this before. Maybe you don't know Jesus, or it's a very vague kind of a knowledge, but you've never committed your life to him, and you're wondering about it. I plead with you. As we're dismissed, just come forward and talk to one of the people. We'll have three or four people up here. Talk to them, and they'll explain to you how you can be sure this morning that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and how you can be sure this morning that God is perfectly at peace with you, whatever the issues are in your life. I encourage you to come forward, or if it's just a burden on your heart and you need someone to hold, help you hold up your hands, come forward. Father, make us prayer warriors. Make us prayer warriors. Our hearts are dull and our lives are stained with sin and we can't crank out on our own the energy that's necessary to be the warriors, the Moses that you called us to be. But God, I pray by your spirit, convict us, stir us up. God, bring it into our life, Lord God, to help us see how much, give us a picture, Lord God, of how much hangs upon intercessory prayer, Lord God. Make us warriors of prayer, Lord God. That's our prayer. Make us warriors of prayer, Lord God. Bound together with a single vision and interceding for one another, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. God bless you.